Here's the thing, and I, I just want to pause the show, and, and I want to talk about Will, Will Leach. Will Leach is an excellent writer. He is a visionary content producer. I mean, Deadspin is sort of the model on which modern sports writing is based. So at some point in the last the last episode of Waiting Since Last Saturday, he said something about how like, oh, I'd much rather talk to the, the, the bar guy, or I'd first much rather fight the band guy than the bar guy. All right, let me just give you a, a, a physical description. Justin is an average sized human being. I am 6'6 six, six and weigh 260. And I am the band guy. And here's the thing, Will Leach, if you come at me, you need to come correct. Hello and welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to finally review the fantastic Tennessee game that we just all witnessed this past weekend. Sorry it's a little bit late, but here we are and we're trying to get as much statsy goodness in this episode as possible. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing awesome. Me and, too. Uh, and then I think we might talk about Vandy as well, but what we need to do first is we just need to get... Real deep and good, like into these stats. Let's get in those stats, real yeah, quick. Yeah, it's just like every time I look at these stats, I get this like kind of like flush tint to my face, and then you hear this like funky jazz bass line. And it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like a meek musician, like a jazz musician. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like every time I think about these stats, I think about these stats like coming to my door to deliver a pizza, and I'm like, oh, but I don't have any clothes on, Mister Stats, <laughs> and he's like, well, don't worry. Can I pay for this some other way? Yeah. Numbers. That's how much I love this, this, these stats. So I think our normal sort of uh, process here is to start subjective and get to objective. So mm-hmm. let's talk about our experience during this game. Um, I have a lot to say about it because I was there, but I want to hear yours first. So how, how, what, did, what was your experience like for this bad boy? So I mentioned this a little bit on our anchor show that we did because uh, we had to push this episode. Uh, normally we record on Mondays and we had to push it a little bit further because... Uh, Life happens, and yeah. Well, the I bills, mean, you, you know, know, sometimes you have work emergencies. Sometimes you got work emergencies, and that was this, this situation. But um, we mentioned it on our anchor show. It was just a quick two-minute drill that you guys can all find on our website, chapelbellcurve.com. And there's a, a little button that our friend Ian Trapp has made to send you right to our anchor page. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're quick, digestible, easy to listen to shows that we just do kind of reactionary. So what I said on that episode, though, was that I was on a company retreat. And I was on a mountain, and right when the game was kind of moving into, like, full full tilt, we were at, like, full tilt, we were going into halftime 24-0, and I was rappelling down the side of a mountain, <laughs> and I, I yelled down to my friend, I was like, what's the score? And he yelled back up to me what it was, and I was like, oh, yeah, and so just kind of driving home that adrenaline, but I listened and watched the the game as much as I could on the trail and on a mountain and while I was building lifelong relationships with all of my coworkers and just, imp- and improving the creature comforts brand exactly that's exactly what we're doing so um, um, watch as much as I could and I was excited the whole time but uh, I was also super jazzed to know that they were only one point away from my ridiculous prediction of forty two <laughs> yeah forty two to ten mine was forty two ten I, I I think you. I mean, I, I think we kind of nailed it. I, I, you know, it's crazy because what ke- what keeps happening on these uh, on our predictions is that we just underestimate the defense somehow. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm just going to start predicting all shutouts. <laughs> I think that's the right reaction. Yeah, absolutely, sure. Uh, because, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, and it makes me a little out of breath to do it. Our defense is closer to a defense that 
pitches shutouts than it is to one that gives up a bunch of points. So yeah. So I went to Knoxville, to Knox Vegas, for the first time in a long time. It was uh, really fun because outside of the game, I got to see a lot of people that I lived there. Well, you know, I lived there for two years right outside of college, and I taught in Tennessee. Um, and just, you know, made a lot of friends and a lot of enemies because I wore Georgia red four days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I actually have two students that are currently in, former students that are currently in the uh, University of Tennessee band. And so it was good to see them uh, just do their thing. And I was very proud of them. But anyway, so as for the game experience, you know, it was funny. Like, it was actually pretty boring. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't boring, but it was boring in the sense that, like, like, if you were watching this game from a neutral perspective, like, you stopped watching it half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, it was just me and, like, 400 other Georgia fans, and 100 of them were banned people, and then the other 300 were drunk. And it was just us just going, like, kind of nuts, like, and in a mostly empty stadium. Like, the, mm-hmm. the stadium, by the end of the third quarter, once we went up, like, 24 nothing the the you know people started leaving and that felt super good i put up i put up a picture on instagram of like they they sit there there i felt kind of bad for their band they sit there uh they sit their student section around their band and like Mm. by the third quarter it was just the band and empty it looked like it was like picture day or something it was like the band (laughs) in an empty stadium um but you know i mean i i guess a couple of big takeaways i had seeing it and seeing it live was that um I really, I actually think that there is a little bit of talent on this Tennessee team. And I thought it was actually pretty impressive how UGA, or we just made them quit. Mm-hmm. They just didn't, by the fourth quarter, they just didn't want to play us. They knew they couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with, like, the whole situation with Butch Jones. But um, I thought there were just several moments. There was a really good moment, and it didn't make the it didn't make the broadcast. But after we scored our last touchdown before the extra point, there's nobody in the stadium, and the last touchdown we scored was next to the Georgia stadium. It was in the Georgia end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the players, like eight or nine of the players on the on offense after we scored that last touchdown, didn't leave the field immediately. They didn't, like, stay on the field for a whole minute afterwards or anything, but they just kind of took a victory lap. You know, they were just kind of, like, walking around right near the end zone and just kind of, like, waving at the fans. And we were all chanting UGA. And... If I had the capacity to feel bad for someone who wears a color of orange somewhere between creamsicle and puke that you have after you eat too many creamsicles, I would have felt bad for <laughs> UT's uh, football team at that point because, like, they were all just kind of like, yeah, well, you deserve this. It's you thir- did it. Yeah. It's 38 to nothing. Like, what? It, you can't even... It, we beat them so badly, they couldn't get angry when we took a victory lap. No, no, It was all. just like... Yeah, like Barry okay. Bond style, this is kind of the like run and shag the bases. Yeah, it was just like okay, this is you. You deserve this kind of, which was which I thought was really, really impressive. Really, and it, it was a very good time. Um, oh, one thing I do want to say before I before I leave my um, you know experience experiential part of this is that I sat my bus buddy on the way up and down was this uh, a redcoat named Hannah, who is an awesome person and has a lot of interesting things to say about sports and really, really cares about football. But also, after we talked for 30 minutes, I found out had listened to all of our shows. Hmm. So Hannah, who I know is going to listen to this and probably like have something to say to me about it uh, at Red Crude Practice on Thursday, you're awesome. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Um, Anyway, so let's, uh, let's talk about sort of, let's get a little more objective here and put this when in the context of what it means for the program, uh, sort of like the big picture narratives, what, what, what are the thoughts here? 
Um, what does this mean for the program? Everyone actually believes that we are the real deal now, yeah. which is scary. Yeah, I don't know how to deal with it. I, I don't, don't like it. I, I put a picture up at the end of the game where I was like, we won 41 to nothing and I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, for real. It was, um, yeah, everyone knows that we're kind of a force to be reckoned with. One of my favorite things that happened over the weekend after this game was our win probability over 12 games went way up. And now we have um, our highest win probability is to win 11 games. Yeah, we have a 33% chance of winning 11 games, which is, um, and that's fantastic. My, my, my poor cynical dog heart can hardly take it. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I think the narrative is that we're finally getting a little bit of press, which I think is good and bad. Mm-hmm. Now, the good thing I did think is that uh, my boy Roquan is finally getting a little bit more press that mm-hmm. he's deserved for a long time because he is a, he is, he is a Da Vinci painting in football player form. <laughs> Roquan Smith is like, if the statue David, which I'm very well mm-hmm. aware is Michelangelo Will Leach, um, if the statue David <laughs> was sort of like came to life and gained 70 pounds and then also had like a real inferiority complex when it came to people who wore orange. And I, and I love him so dearly. And now to see everybody else loving my boyfriend, the way that I love him is really, really awesome. That was, that was kind of my favorite narrative was watching all the replays and people going like, Oh Jesus, Raquan Smith. So good. Um, How did he get so good? Yeah. But he's been doing it for five games. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time. Um, But here, here's something I want to talk about in terms of like what does this mean capital w capital d capital t capital m is um yeah i've done that before so <laughs> i i got that i got that done yeah um in terms of what does this mean for the program like one of the things that i was really interested in was that so you know it was a very publicized fact in in dog circles that nick chubb gets in front of the team on friday and basically says hey this is uh this is a game that really means a lot to me mm-hmm. um and i just you know well he's nick chubb and that's basically all he had to say and the whole team kind of just freaked out about it because nick chubb is a very quiet guy yeah um and so i would think that you know your in your instinct would be to think like okay well the team comes out fired up the next day and they just like kick the crap out of the team they play right because they have this very emotional speech from this leader who's gone through an injury and who does everything the right way and who's a very loved and respected person and what i thought was interesting was you would not have been able to tell like if you watched the demeanor of the players in between the plays Mm -hmm. you would not have known that we lost that game in heartbreaking fashion last year not at all i mean they just sort of took care of business and yeah the, the the end score was 41 to nothing and it was it was a total dismantling but my sort of like wdtm what does this mean for the program uh thought overall is that this is truly a team right now that is playing with a sense of professionalism and a sense of process oriented thinking because i mean the only time we got a we got that one personal foul call on tyler clark and this came through on the um on the broadcast but it was also very apparent in the stadium before he could get yelled at by the coaches on the sideline, half of the defense had come up to him and yelled at him. Yeah. And that is a truly remarkable moment. Just because I think that I think that this defense has a self-awareness for how good it is and how they don't have to play angry. They don't have to play out of position. They don't have to go out of their minds and play like they have their hairs on fire because they're just that talented. They can just trust each other they, to do yeah, their job. Yeah, they just trust yeah. each other to do other job. And and that's what I mean by process oriented thinking. You know, there's this whole idea in uh, professional gambling and in Magic the Gathering, of how basically, like, on any given, in any given game, you just have to make the right decisions, and, and you'll win. 
eventually, like yeah. a higher percentage of the time. And so mm-hmm. really, like whether or not you win in any given game is not important. What what matters is the process. And I think this is that's that's an idea that the team with the whole chopping wood and all that all that jazz. That's an idea that the team has really uh, bought into, and I think that's a really important thing for the program because the heart of the Alabama di- dynasty is process oriented thinking. Yeah. Right. You you cannot practice as hard uh, as an Alabama player before you play Ole Miss and Vandy as you do when you play Auburn or Georgia this year, unless you have process oriented thinking, mm-hmm. unless you take practice and like you know the art and craft of practice uh, to be uh, just as important thing as what you do on the field. And so I think that you know more than anything else that's what's really what makes me really happy about this win is that i think that it's just another sign that the team has bought into the capital p process yeah. and you know what that means is practicing really hard every day it means holding yourself accountable for doing your job correctly and these are all things that sort of every coach pays lip service to but that is really the core of what the alabama style coach does um and it's and i think it's something that you know not every team that is coached by a nick saban disciple does period i mean look mm-hmm. at florida that's clearly not a team that has embraced that level of discipline not at all no that was i'm glad you brought that up about the uh the, that that one play on during the fourth fourth quarter um yeah i mean the game was the when tyler clark committed that penalty i think it was the third was it the but, third i thought it was near the it was sometime it was sometime near the end i mean of the game. we were already yeah. up by double digit points exactly. is my point like it was not a close game no. and raquan smith and jr reed and Aaron Davis and Dominic Sanders all were in his ear, like ear, like just telling him to stop. Yeah, because it's not worth it. At that point, it's not worth it. And that I mentioned that last episode, just saying that this was could potentially be an emotional game. There's a lot riding on it for us, and it's somewhere we've been already. And just coming off of the narrative of last year, this could have been a very potentially different game if we came prepared a different way, just more emotional, less mm-hmm. businesslike, uh, broader egos. But it seemed like. Like you said, everyone's more, um, they check their egos at the door and they're more involved with this process oriented thinking, which t- it wasn't about Tennessee. It's about the season and it's about figuring out what works now so we can apply that over and over and over again. Well, and you know, one of my favorite, I'm, I'm not much of a coach speak guy, but one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard from Kirby was when he mm-hmm. talked after this game and he said, when you have, when you form good habits, they form you. Yeah. And that is clearly something based on the performance of this team. That is not just lip service. This is a team that wants to do the right thing on every play. And the Alabama model is if you win most plays, if you win every play, you're very likely to win. Yep. And you don't you don't even worry about the score. You just win every play. And this was a game in which like we damn near won every play. And I think that's this is a good time to transition into stats. I was going to say, let's move into the stats of this game and understand what what we did right and what we could have done better. Because uh I do remember after the first quarter, even you were tweeting while watching the game that you saw freshman Jake Fromm. So yeah. let's break down some stats and look at what that meant in that first quarter and yeah. where freshman Jake Fromm showed. Well, I think I think the key to me is that if you break down Jake Fromm's performance between standard downs and passing downs, so standard downs being downs in which, you know, first and second mm-hmm. and, and within the normal progression of like what an ideal offense should be through three downs. Yeah. Um, he is he was one for three for 14 yards. And, and two sacks on standard downs, which is a 33% completion rate. So what that tells me and what I kind of saw in that game was that um, when we were, when we passed because we had to, Jake Fromm is, you know, a hashtag playmaker. He can, he can improvise and make things happen. But when we pass because we want to, 
he has not yet totally developed the uh, capability to put a ball in the right place at the right time. Yeah. He's a very good rhythm passer. He will throw the ball at the right time, which is something that Eason doesn't always do well. Mm-hmm. But he is not necessarily, he does not have that pinpoint accuracy yet. I mean, uh, the ball that got intercepted and then also a couple of others that were on these little quick slants, he was just leading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you want to lead the receiver on the quick slant, but you can't lead them by three yards. I, I To me, that was what I saw the most. It was more than just the interception. It was just kind of like, you throw the ball in time at the wrong place and you're going to throw an interception. You have to have both. It's not, it can't just be rhythm. It has to be also accuracy. Yeah. I, I think really to me, the, what the, the, the story of this game and sort of in its own context is if you just look at to Tennessee's success rate by quarter, 24, 38, 10, 25. Whew. Yeah. I mean <laughs> like that, that pretty much tells the game. I yeah, mean, without even seeing the other team, you know they, exactly they how this game They could not went. get anything done on offense. Yeah. Now, and I, kind of the way I want to talk about this game is like let's let's try to strip out as much of the noise out of this score as we can as possible so we mm-hmm. can get to the you know get to the heart of it. So Georgia in this game had a um, basically a turnover luck rate of like point two point six three, mm-hmm. and every turnover is worth about f- five points. So if we just round that up to three and we say we basically got about fifteen points off of turnovers both ways, that makes this more like a twenty six point win. And so that is not quite as impressive as 41 to nothing. But, but still, what's crazy about that is to call the turnover margin noise. We can classify that as just that's noise right now because that's not where right. these points. Well, that's my that, that, yeah. that was kind of my point was that you take if you take 15 points off this score, it's still a comfortable win. Yeah. Right. You know, we, we have such a good defense. So like, let's assume that those are just 15 points that Tennessee gets. They get they get. Uh, on the on one of the interceptions, they get a touchdown, and then on the fumble, they get a touchdown and two point conversion. Mm-hmm. Right, so we're still looking at forty or forty one fifteen. Yeah, still a dominating win. Right, and so to me, I, I mean, I think that's a pretty much as telling about this play as or about this game as you can. As you know, that's the most telling story of this game is that even if everything had broken Tennessee's way, they were still going to lose by twenty six points. Yeah, you know what I mean, and 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 that. 45% of the plays in this game were in garbage time. Yeah. We were up by more than 25 points for 45% of of the game. I mean, there's, there's really just not a lot to say other than that. The only other things I want to point out, uh, I, I think that Georgia's defense is just good. Uh, that's, that's, we, that's we don't have to qualify. To. Yeah. I, actually, actually, Georgia's defense is just great. I don't think we have to really say anything else about that. I have a couple of individual thoughts about um, tactics and strategies and play calls that I want to talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just like pure stats, like uh, looking over at the looking over at the offensive um, side, a couple of things that I thought were pretty interesting was were were sorry, pardon me. Um, a couple of things I thought that were pretty interesting were that if you look at the catch rate for our wide receivers, it actually looks pretty good right now. We didn't have a lot of drops. Uh, we had, what, one, two, three, four, five, six drops on the day. We didn't throw the ball a lot, but that's, you know, that's not a horrible. Uh, we had a pretty good yards per catch average. I think that this is turning into a team that is not very efficient through the air, but that can throw the ball down the field if it needs to right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm when we get to our discussion of the quarterback controversy, I do want to talk about that. Okay, uh, But, I mean, I think that, what this game proved to me more than anything else was that against a decent defensive line and against a team that had every reason to be playing for their lives, Georgia can go out and run predictably and still win, right? Every time, most of the times that we ran in the first half, like Tennessee knew we were going to run and they just couldn't stop it. Yeah. 
right? I mean, pulling up the stats report, which you can find at chapelbellcurve.com. If you look at our rushing stats, you see that like the yards per carry, the average yards are pretty intense, like 6.8, 5.8, 7.3, 7.2 for, for the four running backs that played meaningful minutes. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, and I mean, even Brian Harrion, who had the worst yards per ca- uh, yards per carry, had three point three. So it's mm-hmm. like, what? That's still what, not bad. That's that's average. Well, I mean, that makes me happy because what that means is that even in it, you, last year, the problem was when we got in situations when another team knew we were going to run, we couldn't run. Yeah. And I mean, we're still not amazing at it. But if we look at our advanced stat page, our rushing success rate is up to seventy eighth in the nation, which is way up from one hundred and twelfth, which I think is what it was at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. I mean, and then if even our rushing ISO PPP is 21st in the nation. So what that tells me is that, yeah, sure, we're going to get caught behind the line occasionally. We're going to get stuffed occasionally. But we're just going to have enough really explosive plays from our uh, our running backs that we can make up for that now. Yeah. And that it kind of ties into what I was talking about. I talked about this in, I think, our first or second episode about how if we just have a mediocre offensive line this year, we're going we're to be fine. Because the wins above replacement effect, which is to say, like, if we just if we go from having a huge hole at the offensive line to just being average, mm-hmm. we will improve. Like the performance on the field will improve exponentially from last year. Yeah, which I think is kind of bearing itself out because none of the five running backs that we play regularly really need a big crease. Yeah, you know, they don't need much at all. Especially like what's crazy about it is that everybody talks about Nick Chubb, of course, because Nick Chubb's a powerhouse. But when it comes down to it, I'm so excited just after watching these last few games about the future of these running backs because these guys hit the hole harder than Nick Chubb does. Nick Chubb can make plays and he knows where to go and he can find, he can make plays and other players can't. These smaller guys in Swift and Harry and they, the, the way that they hit the holes on the line is awesome. And that's where they get those yards per carry from. Uh, the last few games know that they were, they had a, a higher YPC than Nick Chubb in the first place. And here it, it shows again with well, Holyfield instead of Harry this time, but Holyfield was 7.3 and Swift with 7.2. That's that's not normal. <laughs> okay, do you want to know do you want to know like a stat that should make you just like super excited? Yes. Okay. Always. DeAndre Swift's yards per carry on the year is 7.0. Yeah. Awesome. His opportunity rate, which is the rate at which he goes for more than 5 yards, 48%. Mm-hmm. Also awesome. Here's my favorite stat. His highlight yards per opportunity, which is to say when he carries it more than five yards, how many yards does he get past like what the offensive line gives him is seven. <laughs> so what that means is if he gets past five yards, he's going for 12 or 15. Yeah. Almost every time. Yeah. And so like that is amazing. So what, And the, the other thing that's crazy is what he does. In, what that also means is what he does on average in the open field is equal to his average carry. So if he just gets a tiny little crease, he's getting seven yards. Mm-hmm. Period. It's pretty incredible. That's that's an incredible stat, and I'm I cannot be more excited. And also just the fact that like most you know learned recruiting experts will tell you that the guy we have coming in next year, Zamir White, is better than him. Yeah. At this point, which degree. is pretty incredible. Yeah, Zamir White had six touchdowns in the first half last on last Friday. Jeez. Yeah, he got taken out of the game in the second quarter. And they said, "You you take a rest." <laughs> yeah, buddy. So, <laughs> take a yeah. minute, son. You, yeah, it. you got these. You got these thirty-five points. Just well, I mean, I guess not thirty-five because he only got six points a pop. But whatever. You got these thirty-two <laughs> points. Whatever. Very exciting. So, what are some things we could have improved? I've already mentioned the egos, uh, and we've talked about the first quarter. But just based on these stats from this past game, what are some things you would like to see going forward? I would love to see a just better rushing success rate. Yeah, that's that's my number one thing because I think that. 
well, there's two things I would like to see. A, I'd like to see a better rushing success rate. So, you know, basically we do not have a great average run. Mm-hmm. You know, our average run puts us in second and seven. Now we have good enough running backs and we have a decent enough quarterback that that's fine. But um, we're going to, we're going to play a couple of teams this year in with um, against which that's not going to work. Auburn has as good a defensive line as we do. So we're not going to be successful if that's our rushing success rate. Mm. Um, or if, if our rushing success rate is much lower than that, really, against them, we're not going to be successful. The other thing I would really like to see on the receiving side, I mean, the things we need to improve on are all going to be on offense. So mm-hmm. um, what I would really also like to see is uh, passing success rate is not good. 37%, which is good for 96th in the nation. And that's only made up by our ISO PPP on passing, which is 7th in the nation. So we are not an efficient offense by any means. And to this point that hasn't mattered because we don't, we just have to get some points on the board and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how we get them. You know, as good as this defense is, except for the 85 bears, every defense gives up points. You know what I'm saying? So we are going to, Auburn is going to get points on us. You know what I mean? For some bizarre reason, because of Jim McElwain's like rabbit's paw or whatever (laughs) dirt that he has on, on the, the head of refs for the SEC or whatever, they have been, you know, Florida has been very good at manufacturing points when they have a bad offense. So, I mean, we're going to we're going to be in a situation where we have to score and we have to score efficiently. You know, the whole mm-hmm. four minute drill cliche we have, where we have to just run, get down the field, get points and kill the clock. And right now we are not very good at doing that. And so that that's really to me, that's an improvement that changes the ceiling of this team, not necessarily the floor. I think we have a good enough defense that our floor in terms of who we're going to beat is is pretty solid. Um, but I don't. I, I think we need to get more efficient if we're going to be if we're going to be ta- if we're going to talk about this team as an SEC East champion. I think we can do what we can, what we've already done. Yeah. If we're going to talk about this team as an SEC East champion that challenges Alabama, we're going to have to get more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we are going to face bigger teams. We have Auburn coming up in five games, which is the big game on the horizon for me. And if we want to beat Auburn, we're just going to have to be more efficient, like you said. Like we're explosive enough, sure. We're great at finishing drives, but that lens. The explosiveness lends to the finishing drives portion of that. I mean, heck, if we're gonna beat if we're gonna beat Georgia Tech, we're gonna have to eat clock, mm-hmm. and you know, either we're gonna have to totally shut down their offense, which at this point I don't know why I'm doubting our defense, but <laughs> either we have to do that or we have to be able to eat clock so that they can't eat the clock back. You know what I mean? We have to be able to score regularly against them, which has been a problem in the past. The let's talk, let's talk about the one. There's one other thing I want to bring up here, and mm-hmm. that's just sort of like where our defense is right now, and um, I, I, I have, I think a couple of insights about where this defense is that kind of like will allow anyone to be, well, not anyone will, will, will allow our, our listeners to be like more informed viewers. And the, the big thing I want to point out is if we look down at our defensive fr- footprint, um, what I think is really telling is if you look at our defensive footprint, it looks like an average defense, right? Yeah. Right. So overall have a great 29th. That's pretty good. Defensive line have a great 119th. LB have a great 16th. Very, very good. DB yeah. have a great 47th. Pass defense to interceptions, 78th. Why is our defense so good? And and that is, I, I think, like, understanding that can really give you a better clue to what's going on. The reason our defense is so good is because they are currently, right now, they are the sixth most efficient defense in the nation. That is why they are good. Their havoc rate does not matter because they just keep people behind the chains. Mm-hmm. And and I really I want to caution people on getting too down. If you look at the stats right now, our defensive line does not look great in the traditional stats, but I want to caution people about that's really not what an Alabama defensive line traditionally does or well, 
an Alabama-style defensive line traditionally does. What our defensive line is very, very, very good at this year is what they call stacking and shucking, where basically our defensive line is really good at engaging blockers, not giving up any ground, and moving the blockers when they need to to make tackles. So we, you're not going to see a lot of plays where this defensive line is four years in, or four yards into the background. You're going to see some of them, but that's not going to be happening on every play. And it's not because they can't do it. It's because that's not what they're being told to do. Yeah. Right. They are very, very good at engaging blockers, keeping them from moving the line of scrimmage forward, and then shucking them, keeping their eyes up and making tackles at the line of scrimmage. And really, like, that ability is what makes... I really think more than anything else, that improvement on the defensive line and the way the defensive line playing, it's what has keyed in and allowed everything else to happen in our defense. Because... It keeps Raquan Smith clean. It allows uh, the interior defensive linemen allow Davin Bellamy and Lorenzo Carter to be more aggressive on a pass rush. And it even is helpful for our uh, our defensive backs. We've been playing a lot of pattern match covering our coverage right uh, lately where what we do is we put one safety in the box and then we have a second safety about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. And so what will happen is that when you have a good defensive line that can not have maintained gap integrity, what will happen is that um, our, like, what our cornerbacks will trade off from man to zone depending on what the wide, wide receiver does. It's actually pretty complicated, but long story short, um, it allows our cornerbacks to play and run coverage more often because we know that our defensive line is going to maintain gap integrity which is very, very good news. So I would not get freaked out that we're not seeing insane sack numbers from um, Trent Thompson. We're not seeing, you know, a bunch of crazy highlight plays from our defensive line, although we did have a couple this week. Yeah. Because I think really the, the way they're playing is what's allowing all of this to work. No heroes. Right. Yeah, exactly. No heroes. Don't be a hero is the name of the game right now, because if you are, you can make Kirby very upset. Anything else jumping out at the stat from you from the stats report of this game? I just really loved Roquan Smith's eight and a half solo tackles all by himself. I know. It's so The so margin beautiful. between Roquan, your boyfriend, and John Adkins is five and a half solo tackles between the two of them. Roquan Smith being the, the first most tackling uh player on this Georgia defense and John Adkins being the next machine. most. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's a yeah, machine. I really like that. I mean and J.R. Reed just continues to be a machine. Yeah. Two solo tackles, three total tackles. One tackle for loss. Two Havoc plays. Two Havoc plays, yeah, I know. Oh, you know, you know, another person that Bear's calling out. Um, last year, and at the beginning of this year, Ty- Tyreek McGee was a guy who got picked on a lot. Mm-hmm. And Tyreek McGee covered Marquez Callaway, their best wide receiver, all game long. And while certainly he had a couple of pass interference penalties that probably should have been called, um, he did a really, really good job. He, until Marquez Callaway, you know, got injured, basically he didn't have yeah. a catch. Yeah, he has two targets, no catches. Yeah, Tyreek, and that is that is on Tyreek McGee because they mm-hmm. were trying to get Marquez Callaway on McGee, and they did, and he couldn't do anything. What I've noticed is that our our cornerbacks are they they've always been this fast, but they're starting to play with a lot better hand technique, and they're getting away with what you might call like a they're getting away with a lot of borderline pass interference penalties because they're timing their they're timing their interference correctly. Um, where the, like what you'll see is they'll engage like a, a half a second before the ball gets there, mm-hmm. which causes a pass breakup, but is never going to get called. Or when they hold, they'll hold on the inside of the jersey so that the referee can't see it. And sure, I mean, that's some ticky-tacky BS that I would hate <laughs> if I saw another team do it. But man, I like to see my team do it's it. because that feels real good when ours does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this was this is an incredible game, and it wasn't a fluke. It doesn't look like a fluke by the numbers anyway. There are definitely some... Some places where our work is cut out for us, which is good. It's good to know what you need to improve. 
Well, I mean, I and I, I we still made enough mistakes, especially on offense, that he's going to ride them hard. He's going to ride them hard in practice. I mean, I saw in the practice report on Tuesday, apparently Kirby was out there with Nicole Hardman, who had mm-hmm. a very had a drop in a game and was like throwing throwing balls to the receivers to just test their hands, like really hard um, balls as they turned around. And he was basically just like, you scared McCall? So basically, that our head coach is goading a wide receiver who has had some drop problems like two days after a 41 to nothing win. Jeez. God bless you, Kirby. <laughs> so yeah, anything else you want to point out there? No, I mean, I think that's about it. Um, have you got anything else? I'm happy with what we've said with Tennessee. Uh, we, well, with we have a, a really happy little segue there from from this game and uh, the pieces that we need to work on and previewing a little bit of that Vanderbilt game as well. So, yeah, let, let's let's talk about Vandy. So let's yeah. talk about who Vandy is. What has Vandy done this year? Let's right, so let's let, read some of these scores out real their, quick. Yeah. Okay. So Vandy starts the game starts the the year off pretty well. Twenty eight to six against Middle Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Forty two to nothing against Alabama A and M. Then they beat the twenty fourth ranked by S and P P plus Kansas State Wildcats fourteen to seven. And then they have to play Alabama, Florida, Georgia. So Alabama is 59 to nothing. Jeez. Florida, 38 to nothing. The Georgia projection is 30 to 15. Georgia. Yeah, it's a 15-point win. Yeah. So um, if we if we look at their S&P Plus rankings, 102nd on, de- on offense, 20th on defense. That's pretty. That tells a lot of the story of who they are. They've got a their, – their defense is nowhere near as explosive as they were last year, although they are still explosive. But they just play solid football. Uh, they're well coached. They lost their best tackler from last year, but they still have three very good players. They have a defensive end, a linebacker, and a cornerback who are all very good. But they just sort of play. They try to. They try to just play like basically Stanford football. Yeah. They play. They play really good, disciplined defense, well coached defense, and they just try to get some points off of you. The I think really the key to this game, and the reason I think this is going to be a comfortable win, and I don't want to tip my hand, but this is the first time I'm going to predict a comfortable win for us this year. <laughs> the key is this: uh, if you look at their current, uh, you look at their current offensive breakdown, 121st in rushing success rate, 130th in rushing ISO PPP. Just by comparison, to make a quick comparison here, currently, outside of our game, which is to say, like. Not, not, or including our game, but with everything else included, Notre Dame, who we held to like sixty-five rushing yards, their rushing, or their rushing profile looks like thirty-third uh, rushing success rate and second in ISO, ISO rushing ISO PPP, mm-hmm. and they were only able to get sixty-five rushing yards against us. It's tough, right? So what that tell, what that makes me think is that Vanderbilt just is not going to be able to run on us. Period. They haven't no. been able to run on anybody, and they're certainly not going to be able to run on us. So what that means is a lot of the, a lot of the kind of pressure in this game is going to fall on Kyle Shermer. Um, they have a very high passing success rate, 14th in the nation, because they're going to throw a lot of underneath stuff at you. Um, but that's all they're going to do. They, they really don't have much past that. Yeah, they really don't. And, and so Tennessee was the same exact way. I think I was reading that um, Quentin Normandy threw, oh no, Jarek Guarantano, he had six completions and seven attempts, but only equaled to 16 yards. So same kind of stuff, like, this Vanderbilt team is not going to do nearly as much as Tennessee did, and that's not saying a lot because Tennessee just didn't do basically anything. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there's a world in which Bandy is going to be able to throw a bunch of underneath stuff and kind of crawl down the field. I really, I just, this is one of the few games this year where, so far, where I have just not, I don't know, I just don't feel. I don't feel scared. I, I, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. <laughs> 
you know, I'm not that worried about it at all. I mean, I, I think that we were, we're going to beat them comfortably. And if anything, I think the only question is just, you know, is this the game where we come out and don't take it seriously? Mm-hmm. There's every reason that we should. And, you know, Vandy embarrassed us at our homecoming last year. And now we are their homecoming. Yeah. So there's every reason that we should take it seriously. So the question is, can will the we? team buy? <laughs> yeah. Can the team buy into the process oriented thinking? I mean, I think they will. Is there anything you're kind of looking for in particular out of the team this year or out of the team this week? Uh, from Georgia? Yeah. I am, I, I'm kind of convinced that we're going to see a bit more Jacob Eason in this game. I do too. Uh, and so this is going to be his time to shine. Well, yeah. We might even see half the plays split between the two of them. I think we will. Right now, Jake, right now, as of right now, Jacob Fromm, or Jacob Fromm, Jesus. <laughs> Jake Fromm. You're not wrong. I mean, I think that's probably his given name. But yeah. Jake Fromm seems to be running it with the ones right now. Mm-hmm. But if you look at their, uh, their passing stuff, their passing stat, they have, they're fourth in the nation in passing success rate defensively. Yeah. It's very hard to throw on them. They have two very good cornerbacks. Um, I really think that we're going to see more of freshman from who, and I don't want to come off as like someone who's dissing on Fromm because I think Fromm's a great player, but I have not yet seen that he has the ability to develop, to throw a deep ball and put it exactly where he wants it. Mm -hmm. He's a very, very good timing quarterback. And if a guy makes a play, he's very good at getting it in the area on time. I'm not sure that he could, I mean, the question the question I ask myself is, does Fromm make that pass to Riley Ridley last year in the Tennessee game? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and I, I, I'm not sure that he does. So I, I'm thinking we're going to see a little bit more of Eason. Well, what, what? let's take a moment. Let's talk about what, where we are in quarterbacks. What are your thoughts on the quarterback, um, sort of the quarterback back and forth right now? It's a weird situation. I don't see any reason to take someone out who's winning games right now is the biggest thing. You don't take a player out who's won five games in a row for no good reason at all. If that does happen we go into this game with Jacob Eason starting instead of Jake Fromm I think it means one of two things it means that either Jacob Eason is practicing better than Jake Fromm and maybe Jake Fromm's dicking around on the you know on the practice field or it means that we're going to rest him and we feel really confident about this win because the key to success in this game like you just said Vanderbilt's got two really great quarterbacks it's really hard to pass on this team it's really hard to to get plays out over the defensive line and and into open area so uh, with that being said, we could be putting Jacob Eason in, which we saw a little bit of Jacob Eason, if I'm not mistaken, in the Tennessee game, but only on play action. Or only on, only on, I mean, he threw it once. He, like, handed the ball off, like, nine times. Yeah. Uh, so that may be what happens a lot more, and that'll give Jacob Eason a little bit of time and opportunity to get a few reps in, a few rep, uh, pass reps in, but I think the key to success for this Vanderbilt game is keeping the ball on the ground and running the clock out. Yeah. I, I, I just kind of think, and this is... I'm going to talk about Will Leach in a second, but this is something that Will Leach said on Wednesday <laughs> since last Saturday. Uh-huh. But, you know, I think that Jacob Eason is going to be the guy that gives us the highest ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, Kirby has said that he's looking at it. Kirby is also being process-oriented with his decision, or he, he claims. He's just going to look at who is um, who is going to, who is performing the best way in practice, who is performing the best in practice, yeah. right? So what that means is who is the best able to execute the game plan for that week? So, sure, against Vanderbilt, the game plan is not going to be to throw much. It's going to be throw a lot of stuff close to the line of scrimmage. It's going to be to try to throw low percentage, low risk throws when we're throwing deep and really not put a lot of pressure on the pass game. The reason I think we're ultimately going to go with Eason is that Fromm is not going to be as good at executing the game plan that we have against the better teams, right? If our game plan is we're going to run a lot, but we're going to throw deep outs. Mm -hmm. We're going to run a lot, but we're going to have a plan to do a two-minute drill. 
Like we're, yeah. we're expecting to do a two minute drill, not just that we're doing two minute drills all the time, but we think that's going to happen in a close game. If, if, if the, if the game plan is we're going to try to stretch the field on intermediate seam routes, if we're going to try to, you know, run some uh, hitch and goes, we're going to try to run sluggos. Like if that is the game plan, just fundamentally to me, it seems that Eason is going to be better in that week of practice. So even if Kirby is just trying to take it week to week and be process oriented, I really think that if he's being honest with himself, eventually Easton will win out. But of yeah. course, I have been wrong before. Does that mean, in your opinion, that we see... Uh, okay. So in your opinion, with that being said, do we see... Do Easton and Fromm split snaps this week? Or do we see Easton kind of start eventually? Do we see them him kind of get eased in? Do we see Fromm mess up? What, In your opinion, are we? when are we going to see Easton and how are we going to see Easton? I opinion? mean, honestly, I, I feel like what we're going to see is Fromm takes the first series... Mm-hmm. I think if we get up by more than like 14 points, they'll immediately take Eason in. But I'm imagining they will have a plan to give Eason a couple of series before the half. Yeah. That's what I'm imagining. Now, it makes sense. It would not surprise me if we saw a little bit modified version of what we saw against Tennessee, where it's like Eason comes in and just runs the whole fourth quarter mm-hmm. with the seconds. Right now, it is, you know, it's currently Wednesday. And as to this date, Fromm has been running with the ones. So I'm imagining they're t- they're planning on running with Fromm in you know for the first few series at first, but it would not shock me to see a planned series and or just a planned quarter for Jacob Eason, um, mainly just because I I don't really buy the whole well you can't take out Jake Fromm he's doing so well mm-hmm. it's like well okay would you rather have Jake Fromm right now or would you rather have you know Mick Swarley at Penn State would you, <laughs> would you rather have Jake Fromm or would you rather have Lamar Jackson? Right. Lamar Jackson's the kind of guy that you can't take out because he's so good. Yeah. And God love him. And I respect and I love Jake Fromm so much, but he is not that guy right now. No. And, and, and if you think that Kirby is the kind of guy who buys into narratives enough to say, well, if he just makes the whole team feel good and he's a good leader, so we can't take him out because he's, <laughs> he's doing enough for us to win. He's a winner. If you think that's the kind of coach that Kirby is, you are wrong. Yeah. You are not correct. He's from right down the road, and I, my son used to go to youth group with him, and so I just, I just yeah, he's a yeah. good old boy, and I just want to keep him on the field. And look, all due respect to our friends and, and listeners from Central Georgia, but that's just not how this team works anymore. Mm-hmm. If you, like, the word is right now that we have processed our lowest-ranked defensive back recruit this year because we are we think that we can get a better one yeah that is not a program that starts a guy because he's good looking and <laughs> runs the huddle well he's um, got icy blue husky eyes i mean yeah does he of and course big old biceps of course yes of course he's cuddleable that's all true but <laughs> kirby smart doesn't care no kirby smart's got a beautiful athletic wife to, to cuddle him he doesn't care about that does he really Oh yeah, his wife is a former. Um, was she like former, Miss Alabama or something? No, no, she was a former former UGA women's basketball player. Oh, they wow. met at they met when Kirby was working here in 2005. Kirby was the was like an assistant coach here. Huh. Look at you with the history. Yeah, that is a pretty like that's a pretty family. Yeah, they're very good looking, and they're and the children's. The, I really like how Kirby's sons. Their haircuts are just as bad as Kirby's. Oh, yeah. It's like he taught them, this is how you cut your own this hair, This is how boys. hair should look. <laughs> you should look like uh, kind of like a Dutch schoolboy who's kind of let himself go to seed. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> We're feeling good about the Vandy game. Yeah. Uh, what's this your prediction? Good. Well, what? hold on. Let, 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 yeah. Let's play our game. UGA wins if what? Let's see. UGA wins this game if we run the ball. <laughs> it seems like run the ball a ton is usually our answer, which... It has typically been the answer. But UGA wins this game if. 
okay, so I'm going to make a quick prediction here. So Vanderbilt played Alabama a couple weekends ago, and Nathan and I have been talking about how we think our defense is fairly similar to this Alabama defense, not nearly as deep. Um, Alabama may have a bit more talent, but that's not that's it's hard to even say because our defense is incredibly talented. But mm-hmm. I think it just comes from the depth that that they're gonna they, that defense would win out stacked up against ours only eventually. for that very reason. Eventually, right. I think that we look similar to that defense. They won fifty nine zero against Vanderbilt, so uh, I know our offense is not nearly as efficient as theirs. But this could be a game that we're able to pad it a bit more because I think our running our running backs will actually be able to push this defensive line a, around a good bit. So we may look like this Alabama team on offense when we do put our running backs in. So I think, I don't think we'll get 59 zero. Cause that's just not what we do. We get 41 zero. That's our new thing. But I, I think that there's a good chance this game could be around 30 to 10, 28, 10. I don't think we'll beat them nearly as hard. I think we'll play more conservatively than we did this Tennessee game. We made a, we sent a message at the Tennessee game and we don't have to send another message until we play Florida. I feel we've got a few games to figure out some more things. And this Vanderbilt game is just kind of a stop in the journey to October 28th. 35 nothing. 35 nothing. Here's what we need to do to win. This is the boldest prediction Nathan has made on this podcast. I know. Here's I know, and it's gonna and it's, it's gonna, gonna bite, bite him me. It's right in the butt. Kill me because <laughs> I keep on predicting these NFL scores, and now it's just gonna be like, well, no, this is an NFL game. We're gonna no. win 20 to 10. No, I think it's 35 to nothing. I'm very, I'm pretty confident that we're not gonna give up more than one touchdown to them, and I think that we're gonna score. Probably we're going to do the same thing we did against Tennessee, where we look really inefficient in the first quarter because they have a good defense, and then mm-hmm. eventually we just figure it out. We, I mean, we have five dudes who are just like um, bowling ball pins of men, and you know Kirby Smart's just going to pick up another bowling ball pin and chuck it at this poor Vanderbilt defense until it gets concussed <laughs> again and again and again, and then eventually we'll out depth them. I think is what's going to happen. So yeah. I, I could see this being something where it's like we go, you know, into the first quarter, it's like seven to nothing. And in mm-hmm. the second quarter, it's like ten to nothing, and then into the third quarter, it's like twenty, you know, twenty-eight to nothing or something. Yeah. I'd really like you to see. I, mean? I don't. So I also think that Kirby like thirty-one Smart, to nothing or something. Yeah, yeah. something, something to nothing. You think that it's going to be a shutout? Um, I don't think. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a shutout. I think like statistically, a shutout is less likely than not. I think you know, if I'm being realistic, they're probably going to score seven to ten points, but. Uh, we just keep. I just want to ride this hot streak right now. Yeah, absolutely. I know that Kirby Smart doesn't subscribe to the narratives, but I do think that Kirby Smart likes to send a message, and he likes to put well, fear and intimidate I, teams ahead. I think he likes to send a message, and I think he likes to talk to his kids because yeah. he was very clear about you saw. I mean, I saw him on the sidelines of Tennessee. He came mm-hmm. over and he thanked the fans. He partied with the kids. He was having fun with the kids during the fourth quarter. And when they got the shutout, it was a big deal for him. Yeah. And he was very pointed about how important the shutout was in his postgame press conference. So I think that if he can get the shutout, he'll get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if they have not scored going into the fourth quarter, I feel like we'll probably get the shutout. Yeah, going into the second half, I think it's much more likely if they're still at zero yeah. that we it remains that way. But I think that he'll play more conservatively going into halftime. But after halftime, he may play some more risky moves just to keep it where it is. But yeah. I would really love to say after this Vanderbilt game and even after this Missouri game going into Florida that we have not had an SEC team score a touchdown on us. Yeah. And that's how it is right now. I mean, it's. I think it's more likely than not that Vanderbilt does just because you can get a special team miscue. Or yeah, something a, a could pick. happen. I mean, I think the, the most... Im- I mean, I think the most realistic way is that the defense doesn't even get up a touchdown and it's just like a pick six from prom. But yeah, I certainly, it certainly does make me happy that the last team to score an offensive touchdown against uh, against UGA was Samford. Uh-huh. 
and the only sustained drive that that has been put on us, like you know, starting at the twenty five and scoring, was by Samford this year. Yeah, that feels pretty dang good. It's pretty incredible. This has been I don't even know what to say. It's been an incredible year. There could be we got into it at the right time, right? Yeah, we did. We definitely did. <laughs> That's kind of what some people have said, too. Like, man, you started a uh, podcast at the right time, right year, right? We, we really did catch it at peak. If we started this in, like, 2009 or something, it would have been This would have been, been a harder rough. time. Yeah. We would have been grinding this out. Yeah. But we, we, we did it, so I'm feeling good. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us on Facebook by searching Chapel Bell Curve, by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com, and on Twitter where Nathan rants, and Instagram where he shares a lot of pictures and his experiences going to all these games. Also, go check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com. It's where we post all of our content, blog posts, episodes, Twitter feeds, our anchor shows that we really enjoy doing, and just about anything we dub relevant throughout the week. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can give us a rating and a review. We're doing really well. I'd like to think we have 20 reviews, 20 ratings, 20 reviews. Um, and so those really help us kind of penetrate the market and get in to a more uh, visible realm of visibility. <laughs> it gets us to a better place with, with more listeners. It helps us find new listeners. And iTunes really likes that. And we're coming up on our eight weeks kind of threshold there where after eight weeks as a new podcast apple podcast no longer considers you a new podcast and so there's some sort of fancy algorithm that we're not allowed to know because it's apples and it's their property that uh, allows us to get on the new and noteworthy section of apple Podcasts. so if you like us if you don't like us if you just want to say something or you want us to say something that you have shared on our ratings or reviews you can add that on apple Podcasts, and we will read it on air but until next week we'll catch you in the classic city and until then go, go dogs, dogs.